This is KRNR React Native Radio. Brought to you by 5G. Get yours injected today. Episode 196 The Art of Code Review. Hey, React Native Radio friends. Welcome back. This is the React Native Radio podcast. I'm Jamin Holmgren, your host. I'm joined today by my superb co-host, Robin. Hey, Robin, it's the NBA trade deadline today. Do you have any predictions for today? Uh, the blue team. <laughs> the blue team. <laughs> the blue team. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know I know nothing about basketball. Okay. Well, at least you knew it was basketball. Don't. Please don't fire me. <laughs> I'd have to fire a lot of people if if I <laughs> got rid of non-sports fans at Infinite Red. That's, that's hey, unfortunate. Hey, sports? That's another question. You asked me about... What do you like? Cricket? <laughs> Cricket. <laughs> uh, I like NCAA football. Oh, okay. On non-COVID years, it's more exciting. This is kind of... Are you a, a OSU, Oregon State fan? Yes, Oregon State. You grew up in that area, so... Don't give me any of those ducks <laughs> no ducks no, <laughs> no organ no ducks. ducks yeah uh i i i followed uh, college football for a little while anyway uh i'm sure we've lost half our audience already today we're talking about the art of code review i'm looking forward to this one uh we have i think uh quite a few different perspectives even though it's just the two of us we we've kind of read i asked the team i pulled the team for some some answers and so i've i've got some i've got some content here before I get into that, I want to say this episode is sponsored by Infinite Red. Infinite Red is a premier React Native design and development agency located fully remote in the USA and Canada. We have years of React Native experience, deep roots in the React Native community. We are the best choice for your next React Native app or if you need help with your current React Native app. Whether it doesn't matter what platform either. We'll do Windows, we'll do web, we'll do anything that has the words React Native on it. Hit us up, hello at infinite.red. You can learn more on our website, infinite.red slash React Native. Don't forget to mention that you heard about us through the React Native Radio podcast. And also we are hiring uh, React Native, senior Re React Native engineers in the US or Canada. Go to careers.infinite.red. All right, let's get into the topic. Uh, so the topic is the art of code review. And this topic kind of came up because Justin Searles, who I've you know, known for a long time. He's been a Ruby developer back when I did a lot of Ruby. He has been around the industry for a long time. He owns a, another agency called Testable. He put out a tweet a couple weeks ago that really discussed the efficacy of pull request reviews, sort of GitHub style pull request reviews. This is something that's kind of near and dear to engineers' hearts because, you know, most of us have some sort of pull request review process that involves GitHub or Bitbucket or something of the sort. In his tweet, he mentions or he kind of argues that pull requests are designed for low trust environments like open source. They're, you know, that's kind of where Git was created for, is created for Linux originally. And that's an open source area. You have a lot of people submitting pull requests. You don't trust them all. It's kind of a high risk situation if you merge something that might break something or even be malicious. So it was designed for a low trust environment. This, he kind of contrasts this against pairing, you know, sort of like there's the pull request process, but you could also pair, or you could do sort of extreme programming. You could kind of work together on something 
all the way throughout it. And he talks about collective ownership, pairing, uh, testing, no code review to dread, instant empathet- empathetic feedback. He talks about how pull requests, you know, he's talked to a lot of people who are almost like emotionally scarred by like the feedback they're getting on their pull requests. You know, it's just not empathetic. What are kind of your initial thoughts, Robin, on on code review and, and this Twitter thread that, that Justin put out? Well, I think I think everything you said is pretty much correct and sort of universally we agree that those are the ish, like the pros and cons of pairing and the pros and cons of code review or like pull request code reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the biggest disagreement I have is that pull requests fundamentally lack empathy. Mm. I think that's a variable that can be controlled. It's not like a pull request requires you to be unempathetic. It's the people that are doing the reviews are choosing to be unempathetic. And granted, text communication, if you're not experienced with it or skilled with it can lack sort of the the personal body language and mm. other things that communicate empathy uh, and it can seem very harsh but right. i think for a team like us infinite red where we've been remote for so long and we are incredibly used to communicating empathy via text without being able to see each other i think our pull request process tends to be much more empathetic than what Justin is describing in his tweets. Yeah, totally. It is something where you can get better at that. You have to work at it, though. Like, it's not something that I think comes as naturally. No, I don't. I don't think it does. I think um, it's definitely a skill that you have to learn and you have to do intentionally. You have Mm -hmm. to think about what you're what you're writing in a comment before you just fire it off. I think there's some guidelines that you could keep in mind to sort of maintain a level of empathy. I tend to almost always phrase things as questions rather than statements. Can you give me kind of an example of how that might? Well, if there's, if there's, go. if someone has chosen to do something in a way that seems problematic to me, I'll ask what their reason, like, hey, can you like walk me through your thought process for this or sort of ask for their reasons behind something rather than questioning their decision mm. right off the bat? Basically, Always assuming good intent, that something was intentional and that they had good reasons for it. That's the okay. Yep. The underlying assumption always. With that in mind, uh, I'll I'll take the devil's advocate on this one and say maybe that's what Justin's saying. If you're pairing, then you have that context already. Like you, you've already kind of walked through those those discussions with them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's there's no question that pairing produces a lot more thorough right. review because you have two people that have walked through the building of this mm-hmm. code together and both have the same mental model and understanding. And there's really not a need for a review at the end because someone's been there the whole the whole way making sure that things are being done in a way that makes sense. I mean, maybe there are people that would deny that that's the benefit of pairing, but I think a lot of people would agree. It's the... The other side of pairing that makes it maybe not so much the norm. Yeah. It it obviously has big downsides to go along with its big upsides. Right. He makes, uh, he sort of lists some of the arguments against pairing in his Twitter thread. He says that it's often seen as wasteful, emotionally exhausting, and unsuitable for kind of introverted people, which are big reasons, you know, <laughs> like those, all three of those are very big, big reasons not to do it. There's absolutely trade-offs. I... So I learned, like, 
I learned to program by pairing every single day. That was mm. the the way that my code school operated mm-hmm. was every single day you would find a pair and spend the entire eight hours that day pairing with someone else. Eight to hours. Work, to work through the, yeah, it was eight hours a day. It was exhausting. How how did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> you mean, how did I do that without having a job? <laughs> or how, how did I make it through how the whole day pairing for eight hours? It, it was tough. Yeah. It was a lot of work. Yeah, we took breaks. It like mm-hmm. you kind of get used to it, mm. um, and because it was new material every day, it kept it yeah. sort of fresh. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was it was hard, and I I mean to be quite frank, I dreaded it. Mm-hmm. I dreaded the like, okay, I have to find a pair today, and of course you sort of get to know everyone, and you get to know who you mesh really well. But with. you had to and go it, find a pair. <laughs> you, that yeah, that reminds they, me <laughs> of like in in. PE and in, in yes, middle it was, school. It was like that. It, there was okay. Everybody an find a partner. Um, by the way, we have an odd number of people, so I'm going to be the last one standing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was. It was a bit like that. There was. We would do our like daily stand up. Yeah. When we got in, and then they would be like, "Go find a pair," and so you would wander around and like pick someone, which was a really intense like social experiment. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, but I got to, I would say I got to work with most of the people oh, that's in cool. the class. And yeah. of course there's people that I meshed better with mm-hmm. Yeah, from like, from a personality standpoint, but also from a, a, a like coding standpoint. Like yeah. there's some people that you just kind of think on the same wavelength with and it, right. the coding flows a lot better and you, you don't have to explain your thought process as much. And yeah. so of course, like I would be more excited on the days I got to work with them. But uh, I think that's just natural. Mm-hmm. It's human nature. Uh, and I think it it's definitely very taxing emotionally, mentally, socially. I don't yeah. think I could do it now in my professional career. I don't think I could do it every day Yeah, or even most of a single day. Uh, but it gets amazing results, especially if you're working with someone that you jive really well with. Yeah. At Infinite Red, we, we don't pair all the time, obviously. Uh, we we do have the mantra of don't do hard things alone. I think that we probably pair a little too infrequently. Like, I think we could do this a oh, little I more. Oh, I definitely agree. Yeah. It's something that I almost have to be required to do. <laughs> like, if I, I know it's expected, happen, I'll like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I have to be careful what I ask for. But there's such a mental barrier. Once you're in it, you you like, mm-hmm. it feels good and it feels good to reap the benefits of it. But it's, yeah. it's a hard thing to say, I want to go try and pair today. Yeah, totally. I asked the rest of our team what they thought about this Twitter thread in a very empathetic way, by the way. Right, Robin? Very empathetic. Uh, in text, of course. Very empathetic. empathetic. Yep. <laughs> That's a whole different story. <laughs> one of our developers, Silas, uh, talked about how one of his clients from years ago had a policy of three people should have seen the code. So, you know, talking about the original author, maybe someone who was pairing with them, and then the code reviewer. I kind of like that because it leaves room for maybe both of these approaches. You know, you could have a pair and Mm -hmm. and you could have a review. If you don't have a pair, then you have, you really have to have two reviews. Now, if you were, if there were three people working on it, maybe you don't need a review. Maybe you're good. You know, so that that was that was kind of an interesting way to approach it. So there's one approach that I actually really, really like that's kind of a hybrid and I don't do as often as I should. I do it occasionally for especially like really large PRs or like really complex features. But what I'll do is I'll open up the PR and then 
pair with someone to walk through it, mm. which is usually much more effective than them just reading through the diff yeah. themselves, because then I can sort of explain my thought process along the way, avoid them having to sort of make assumptions or mm -hmm. ask questions in comments and sort of set the stage or set the context by walking it through myself. That That's actually something I need to do more of. I like that. It, it, it brings in sort of that high bandwidth communication, the sort of emotional communication, and also allows you to fill in context, like you said, uh, and allows you to answer questions right away. Tightens up that feedback loop, but it also doesn't kind of, you know, you, they're not sitting there like puzzling through documentation with you um, mm -hmm. when you're when you're kind of working on that. It can also really help build the mental model for them mm. because a lot of times like GitHub or Bitbug, they just list it, they just list the the diff in alphabetical order. And so it can often be really hard to form a mental model of what these changes are and what the feature does and how it works by just reading the diff top to bottom. Yeah. So if you have someone point okay, start here and then okay, so then from here we move here and from here we move here. It's much easier to understand the holistic picture yeah. of what happened and what changed. I've certainly been guilty of doing pull request reviews that have come off wrong. Uh, I remember one guy that I worked with was kind of upset about how I reviewed one of his PRs. And what he told me was, you pointed out the same mistake that I made like eight times. And really, you just needed to tell me once and I would have fixed Do it. Here. it. Oh, also here. Also here. Yeah, Same mistake exactly. Here. Yes. And I, I thought I was being helpful. Like, okay, here's, you know, here's all the places that you need to fix. Yeah, exactly. And he was like, quit beating me over the it. head with this. I yeah, get it. <laughs> get it. <laughs> and uh, so he was right. Like, I, I shouldn't have done it that way. I just, I thought it was being helpful. And it came out, came off the wrong way. Yeah, I think I've, I've definitely done that. I actually, I think about that now. Like, if I see something that is the wrong, and I do this like with with blog posts too, if I'm like reviewing a blog post, I'll just point out the first time and then I'll say, and the, there are a few more instances that you that you can fix further down. Which is worse? Is it worse to point out all like 10 instances and hurt their feelings? Or is it worse to have them go and fix it and come back and have to say, um, you, there's you actually... I still think the second's better. I really do. <laughs> I've never had someone like get, get upset at me for doing the second. Uh, it usually they're just kind of embarrassed, like, "Oh, I should have, I should have caught that." Yeah. One of our developers, Kevin, said that it comes down to your culture, uh, which you met, kind of alluded to earlier, Robin. Uh, having, you know, are you addressing your pairing culture or are you addressing your PR review culture? And Justin's take on this. Um, I, I know Justin a little bit. I'm actually going to send him this episode and, and get his thoughts on on us discussing his Twitter thread. <laughs> but uh, but he kind of focused more on the pairing culture and what you could do to make the pairing culture work well. He didn't maybe focus quite as much on what you could do to make pull requests work as well. His broader point of kind of, you know, just pairing often and, and prioritizing normalization and trust building. We're big fans of trust building at Infinite Red. Like a lot of things that we do is centered around that. I do think that's good, but I think it can also apply to pull requests. He may disagree, though, uh, because it seems like the, the media itself is kind of part of the problem there. But like you said, there are ways that you can you can kind of do a hybrid approach where you're pairing with people mm -hmm. during the code review. Another idea that I've seen is to, and Julian does this quite often, one of our developers, do a video and show the 
the feature in action, mm-hmm. go through the PR and actually explain why why he did different things. Keeping the async quality, which is really important when you have people all over, all over the world. Yeah, totally. But you you add the the personal context. Yeah, there, I think there's there's a lot of different ways to not just need to pick one or the other. Right. I also think one thing I need to do more of is sort of periodic pairing. Like I'm I'm still the one responsible for a feature and building it primarily independently, but periodically I'll do a, a pairing like check-in mm-hmm. with my teammate saying, hey, can I walk you through what I've done so far? Let me know what you think, especially that can help with architecture issues where because it's the worst feeling in the world when you get a PR open and someone basically says, this architecture isn't going to work or mm. or like this fundamental thing needs to change. And you're like, if I had known this two days ago, <laughs> I could have saved so much time. So like doing that kind of in-person periodic check-in where it's it's not building the entire feature start to finish with someone else live, which has the the issue of of like bandwidth and quote unquote wasted time like having to use two people for one feature that's a good point but you still get some intermediate feedback rather than all at the end means that the feedback loop is very slow and it's like very late and that totally plays into what you're saying like uh, and i i often feel bad like i look at someone's pr i I just did this the other day actually i looked at uh, one of our engineers prs to an internal tool and i i was like ah that's not it's not quite going to work. You know, like I, I could tell he worked hard on it. He did a good job with the direction he went. It was just there were certain things about it that didn't quite work for the architecture. And so we then talked about it. I, I guess at that point, it's like elevate the bandwidth. If you have to give that type of feedback, elevate the bandwidth. Don't just put it into a, you know, mm-hmm. uh, this. Exactly. Hey, this pull can request we, is rejected. Can we meet in Zoom really quick? Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You need you need to. Go beyond text communication for yeah. that kind of feedback. Another part of this is remove the audience too. Like maybe a DM, you know, in Slack is mm-hmm. a little more empathetic than putting it. I'll do that. I'll do yeah. that. If I have a serious concern yeah. with someone's PR, I'll DM them in Slack. It's yep. just a respectful thing to do. And if someone starts feeling defensive, then nothing good happens, you know? <laughs> It, it it really it doesn't work very well. So much of this is about just general communication too, like how how you mm-hmm. approach this. Carlin in the thread also responded, and he he's worked for me for ten years now, something like that. It's very close to ten years, and he said at Infinite Red, I can't remember a single time when someone commented or requested changes on my PR, and I felt like they were calling me stupid or something. Yeah. So I I think at Infinite Red specifically, we've worked hard to have. A very like blame free, yeah, respectful culture, mm-hmm. and I think that's something that we actively cultivate all the time. Yeah, and it really helps for f- things like PRs and feeling safe making PRs. The situations that Justin describes, I can't even imagine. <laughs> like working somewhere where that's how people feel, or like that's how people are made to feel during their their PRs. I just, I don't know. Yeah. We, I think we tend to look at these types of things through an infinite red. <laughs> through infinite red rose-colored, <laughs> rose-colored glasses. glasses. Like, that would never happen. That's not a thing. Yeah, why would you ever do that? And then people are like, yeah, that happens all the time. <laughs> that happens all the time. Oh, come yeah. on, really? But I mean, that's that's really why why we started, why Todd Gant and I and, and Ken started uh, Infinite Red was because we wanted to 
start a company. We, we wanted a company that we would want to work at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- this doesn't always work outside. But I don't, I don't like, I'm not a big fan of fixing culture with tools. Like the, tools can have an impact on culture, no doubt. But like tools and processes don't fix your culture. No. Like you have to start. The culture, com- the culture comes first. Exactly. Some shared like values and, and how you approach things. And then the tools come out of that and the processes come out of that rather than the other way around. And I think too often companies, because processes do fix so many problems, they're like, well, we'll just fix our, our culture problem by mandating this. More checklists. <laughs> yeah, more, more. more checklists. Exactly. By the way, I am a checklist fan, but not for cultural reasons, <laughs> just because I forget things all the time. So Justin does categorize these into kind of three different ways. There's like projector reviews is what he calls them, like low comfort, low information, low empathy. It's like everybody picking apart your code in front of everybody. That's like the worst. Terrible. Yeah. I've never been through one of those. I'm very grateful that that's never been part of my career. You know what's funny? I actually did some of these at my old company with... With people like Carlin and Julian and Kevin and people that I've quoted here. Which isn't a problem when you're an empathetic, like, leader. Oh, thanks. And you've created a culture of empathy. That, that was it. Could, yeah. It could go wrong really, really easily. I, I totally understood that this would be scary for people. So people would volunteer like, okay, let's look at this maybe Rails controller or something that we were working on at the time. And we would put it up there. And what I would tell people is we're going to work on this for one hour. And we're going to throw away all of the changes we make. So none of this is like, you. if you want to bring it back to your code, you can do that. But this is for us to kind of brainstorm and like come up with. It was less about picking apart their code and more about like, what are some ideas that we might have to, you know, improve this code? Like what, what are some things we could do to like, uh, just, just ideas and and it was fun because it was like, okay, well, what if we what if we took this block of code here and we refactored this out into like a service object and just look at that, like try it and let's look at it, and see how it looks. And um, I I think it went well. Like people actually have told me that they missed doing that, the ones that were there doing that. That's a good sign. <laughs> yeah, that is a good sign. Um, I wouldn't mind doing it. Uh, obviously, I'd probably start with some of my own code or something. Like let's pick apart Jamin's code. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But like, uh, what are some, you know, what are some ways that we can improve this code? And then remember, we're throwing this away. So like, this doesn't go back. We're not, you know, we're not trying to make this all work in a perfect way, but we're trying to get ideas and spark um, curiosity, I guess, is the the idea. That's a very different thing than code review. Like, right. So like that, I mean, the, the desired outcome of those projector reviews wasn't, hey, we need to get this feature merged. Yeah like to go to production that yeah. wasn't the goal the goal was just sort of collective learning and thinking and whatnot but i don't think it's a very common technique to actually get production code reviewed in order to like keep the train moving yeah and apparently some teams do this but i i don't know gosh no thank you so the second one he says is pair programming uh low comfort high information high empathy so it is uncomfortable still because you're in person but you do get a lot of information, a lot high bandwidth, and uh, you also have the opportunity for high empathy. Right. Having it be one-on-one yeah. versus a whole conference room audience. Right. Yes. <laughs> one-on-one, uh, yeah. uh, high bandwidth. Yeah, that makes sense. Definitely low comfort. Right. I, that's just the nature of pairing. I remember mm-hmm. just being so – like I would always have a headache after a day of pairing because mm-hmm. you're just kind of on yeah. all day. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But yeah. Low comfort, high information, high empathy. And then pull request reviews are kind of the opposite. 
Right. High high comfort because you're just typing yeah. anonymously. Well, not anonymously, but <laughs> asynchronously. Right. High information, low empathy. Because you, you don't have that that bandwidth, the communication bandwidth. Mm-hmm. It's just text. So that's why when you do a pull request review, you need to be focusing very closely on the empathy that's coming through your words. It's hard to do. Yeah. Which, like we said, can be helped by adding some of the high bandwidth into your review. Mm-hmm. Having them hop in Zoom to go over questions. You can kind of add in a little bit of that high empathy that you get with pairing. Yeah, I think that's good. And and from my perspective, I don't think it is like it has to be that way. I don't think it has to be that way. I think that and really in all three, the projector reviews could be higher information and higher empathy. You'd have to work really hard to do that, though. Mm -hmm. That's an uncomfortable situation. Could pair programming be high comfort? I don't know. Maybe that's what that's kind of where I was going next is like I with pull request reviews, I can see lots of ways to increase the empathy. Right. With pairing, I don't know a ton of ways to increase the comfort. Yeah. Besides just doing it so much that you're just really used to it. Yeah, I mean, that is that is one option, I guess. When you do a pull request, there are different things that kind of play into this too. Sometimes, like Carlin mentioned, uh, you know, if he spends a lot of time like really putting together a good PR with lots of information, maybe does a video, maybe comments on lines and make sure that it's it's really well put together. And then the person, you know, he tags the person Just to review like it. Approved. Merged. It's merged in like two seconds. <laughs> you know, they didn't look at it. You know, it's just. Yeah, it's pretty deflating when you put that. Yeah. Like, it doesn't encourage you to put that much work into it every time. And I just get a text from my buddy that uh, a trade went down for the Blazers. So um <laughs> We'll have to wrap up this uh, this podcast episode quick. <laughs> <laughs> Priorities, Damon. Priorities. Priorities. Uh, it does display trust, I guess. Um, you know, like, oh, I trust you. You know, bring it yeah. in. Uh, but it can, I think it has more negatives than positives. Um, well, I think, but like, I think a really important part of empathetic code reviews is also praise. Mm. It, a, like, a really good code review should also involve Hey, I I really like how you did this. Hey, like this is really like acknowledging good work just as much as you're pointing out mistakes. That's a very good point. Having a pull request just go straight to merge with no comments is like okay, cool. Yeah, they didn't find anything wrong theoretically, <laughs> but even though they probably just didn't look at it, but right. they also just like did not acknowledge the many days of work that I just put in. Yeah, and I, I love being able to to give praise in a pull request, you know, and putting out like small things too, like, whoa, that's a really cool way to do this. You know, mm-hmm. it shows that I'm looking at it, Yep. you know, so they understand that I am and hopefully makes them feel good about, about the work that they just did. Darren talked about, he's another infinite red developer. He said, I think PRs work well for code quality, but less so for shared ownership. Pairing can work well for both, but it's not for everyone. I certainly couldn't do it full time. So shared ownership is an interesting one. Uh, it does, especially when someone just kind of merges, mm-hmm. it does sort of feel like they are not taking ownership over it. They're just sort of like, well, that's your thing. And I didn't notice right. any like major warts on it. So here it goes. It really perpetuates the siloing of yeah. knowledge. Like, oh, this is this bug is related to push notifications. Well, like, oh, Mark did that. Mark will handle that. Yeah. And not being able to kind of own every part, even the stuff that you didn't build yourself. Yeah. Orta talked about in a previous episode owning your dependencies and this is even closer to us like owning owning you know the code that you're working on 
not just the code you're working on, but that your teammates are working on and just having Mm -hmm. that sense of ownership and being able to like, I notice a bug, you know, like imagine this, like I notice a bug. I went in, I looked at the changes you just made and here I think is where the bug came in. That to you is like, okay, well that's awesome. You know the code really well. So you can instantly be like, oh yeah, that I can see how that would, would cause a bug. And it's cool because it's like, you can see that they're interested in your part of the code, quote unquote. Even better. I absolutely love it when a teammate reviews my PR, finds something wrong, and then says, like, pings me to say, hey, uh, can I just push another commit to your PR? I yeah. found this one it, and, like, actually fixes it themselves. <laughs> A, that's less work for me. Right. B, I know they really looked at it and understood it well enough to yeah. add code themselves. And I, you have to do it right. I wouldn't just push a commit without, like, letting them know. Yeah. Ahead of time, because like you never know what else they're planning on adding, or yeah, or if they would get offended. But um, I think it can really show that you've understood it to the point where you can contribute yourself. I, I remember talking to an engineer, and and she said we we had a shared acquaintance, uh, Eric Farkas. He's a great guy. When we found out that we had this shared uh, friend, she said, "Oh, Eric is the best code reviewer I've ever worked with." Like that was the first thing she said, like didn't matter about like his, his code or anything like that, but he's the best code reviewer I've ever worked with. He's spectacular. He'll actually look at my code. He pulls it down, he runs it and then provides empathetic, super thoughtful feedback uh, that makes my code better in the end. I was like, whoa, I've never really thought about that being a superpower, you know, Mm -hmm. like being the best code reviewer that someone has ever worked with. That is, that's a real skill. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. it's not all that common that you encounter no. someone who's really good at reviewing code in that way. Yeah, totally. Now we did have one person at infinite red who prefers pairing uh, that mentioned that they preferred pairing and that was Julian. And he, he gave these reasons. He, he, he feels that it gives you a greater understanding of the problem, the potential solutions, and then decided upon approach for a given task or feature. Also, he mentioned growth of a closer working relationship with the person you pair with which I think is a, a very good point. Uh, he likes the idea of shared ownership and also on the psychological level, feeling the accomplishment of the win at the end of the collaboration because it's like you both feel like it's a win. It's not just you by yourself. And also more focus on the problem at hand where, you know, just kind of two people. I know for myself, if I'm working with someone else, I will focus more. Now, it's worth noting that he wasn't always a pairing no, enthusiast. Not at all. No, I've worked with him for about 10 years and uh, <laughs> he was kind of a solo siloed, leave me alone. I'm going to have my headphones on and, and do this type of thing. But as he's grown as an engineer, he's uh, become more and more collaborative. Yeah. So practice it. Do it. may be uncomfortable, may dread it at first, but it does get easier the more you do it. Just to kind of wrap this up, Robin, what would you say are kind of the big things for an effective code review? Uh, For a code review to be effective, there has to be a pretty deep level of understanding on the, on the part of the reviewer. Mm -hmm. And you, there's multiple ways to get there, but it's never going to be a truly effective review if they don't really have a good model or understanding of the code that's changing. Yep. I think that's huge. So understanding on the part of the code reviewer and 
empathy on the part of the code reviewer. Yes, empathy, super, super critical. And I'm actually, I have access to your notes, so I'm just going to read them. But these are Robin's notes. (laughs) Phrasing things as questions rather than, you know, commands or whatever, including compliments. She mentioned this earlier. Assuming good intent. That's a big one. And asking for reasons behind a decision rather than going straight to uh, questioning their decision. So I think those are all really good ones. Awesome. Very good uh, information here. Robin, uh, if people want to let you know their thoughts about Code Review, where can they find you? Uh, I'm at Robin underscore Hines on Twitter. That's with an E at the end. And I'm at Jamin Holmgren. You can tweet at our main account at React Native RDIO. As always, thanks to our producer and editor, Todd Wirth, our transcript and release coordinator, Jed Bartoski, our designer, Justin Husky, as well as Jenna Fucci. And our social media coordinator, Missy Warren. Thanks to our sponsor, Infinite Red. Check us out, infinite.red slash React Native. Special thanks to everybody listening today. Make sure to subscribe. Send this to someone who you think is really bad at code reviews and needs to get better at it. (laughs) Hint, hint. (laughs) Hey, hey, maybe you should check out this podcast about code reviews. I could just hear the person like after listening to it and getting this, you know, getting this sent to them. Hey, wait a minute here. I'm not that bad. <laughs> and a reminder that we are hiring senior React Native engineers, US and Canada. Go to careers.infinite.red. See you all next time. Bye.